Good morning, church. We'll be reading from Acts this morning. Acts 1. Acts 1, chapter 1, and verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for my gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is the reading of God's word. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, lovely to see you all this morning. Some of you I know will uh, remember Privilege, who was with us uh, last year. He left us last year after four years at St. Barnabas. And um, I got a message from him during the week to pray for him because he was going to ask Bishop Morrison for the hand of his daughter, Catherine. And his knees were knocking, which of course is a very understandable thing. But I understand his quest was successful and he will be down on the 21st, which is next Sunday, to share the good news with us. So do please remember him and Catherine in your prayers. In the meantime, please keep the passage open uh, that Ruby read so beautifully for us. And uh, let's pray and ask the Lord to be with us in our new series. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, you have taught us that we are not to live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. We pray that you would come to us this morning as a father with little children, that you would break down for us the bread of life. 
We pray that you would not only open our mouths that we might feed, but also our hearts that we might inwardly digest the food of the gospel. We pray that as we look again into your word, that we might find our Lord Jesus as the bread of life who has come down from heaven, that in him we might enjoy eternal and everlasting life. Speak to us then, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, if you drive 15 minutes outside Peter Maritzburg, you'll arrive at a Zulu township called Slangspreit. I probably haven't pronounced that correctly. But uh, in that township, a handful of Zulu Christians meet every Sunday to praise Jesus and to listen to the preaching of God's word. You drive four hours from the capital of Alaska, you arrive at a little town called Glen Allen. And there, surrounded by stunning mountains, you'll find a church of Athabascan Indians worshipping Jesus side by side with white Americans. If you travel 30 minutes outside Shenzhen in southern China, you'll come to a small industrial town and uh, meeting inside one of the flats in a very tall, dirty apartment block, you'll find just 10 Christians meeting every Saturday in secret for Bible teaching and prayer. Come with me to Russia, to the city of Samara Oblast, and you'll see a group of young Christians reaching out to the street kids of Russia with the good news of Jesus. And now, take a look around at our church this morning. Go on, have a look around. Because here we are, a family of brothers and sisters from South Africa and from Malawi and from Zimbabwe and from South Sudan and from Uganda, and yes, even from England. But in spite of our cultural differences, we've come together, haven't we, to sing songs of praise to Jesus and to pray to him. What on earth is going on? What's happening around the world? Well, the fact is that around the world, in many different people groups, there are believers in the Lord Jesus. But the question is, how did the carpenter from Nazareth get his message to Athabascan Indians in Alaska? How did a small group of people in southern China get to hear about Jesus who lived and died in Israel more than 2,000 years ago? How has this message about King Jesus spread so far and so effectively? Well, in this passage, Luke gives us two answers. First, he tells us about Jesus' continuing activity in the world. And secondly, he tells us about Jesus' purposeful plan for the world. We're going to look at those two things together. 
So the first reason there are believers in obscure parts of the world is because of Jesus' continued activity in the world, verses 1 and 2. Come with me to verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Now, friends, we sometimes think that Jesus came to earth to do his work, that he completed it in his death and resurrection, and then he went back to heaven, leaving us to do the important work of mission on our own. That view actually is reflected in the titles that have been given to the book of Acts down the centuries. From the second century onwards, it was known as the Acts of the Apostles. More recently, it's been known as the Acts of the Holy Spirit, reflecting the fact that the Holy Spirit is mentioned more than 50 times in the book. But the real message of Acts is derived from one tiny word in verse 1. I wonder if you spotted it. It's the little word, began. And that's important because the book of Acts is actually the second volume in Luke's two-volume work. In his first volume, Luke tells this man, Theophilus, what Jesus began to do. So let's remind ourselves of that. Keep a finger in Acts. Uh, Turn left in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, to the very end of that Gospel, chapter 24. Luke 24, end of the chapter. We have to go here because it's here that we find what it was that Jesus began to do and teach. Verse 44. Jesus said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Now stay there. You see, Jesus began to bring about salvation. That's the point. By his death, by his resurrection, he secured forgiveness of sins for all nations. The long-awaited promises that were given by God in the Old Testament for the whole world were starting to be fulfilled. But the task was only half done. Yes, Jesus had completed the task his father gave him to do, but the nations hadn't yet heard the good news. The hearts of the Athabascan Indians and the Zulus and the Russians 
and the Chinese and the South Africans and even the Englishmen had not yet been changed because forgiveness of sins had not yet been preached to all nations. Now here's the surprise. The big surprise is that it is at this stage, at the very beginning of God's restoration of the whole world, that Jesus departs and leaves his disciples behind. Look with me at verse 50 of Luke 24. Can we all see verse 50 in our Bibles? It reads, When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Now the question, of course, is why on earth did Jesus leave at this critical moment with the work only half done? Well, in Acts chapter 1, verse 2, please come back to Acts now, Luke makes it clear that although Jesus was leaving, he would be continuing his activity in the world by his spirit through his people. Verse 2 says that in the first instance, that would continue through the apostles he had chosen. And therefore, the point that Luke is making is that although Jesus is not physically with us here on earth, he hasn't abandoned us. Luke's going to tell us what Jesus continued to do and teach by his spirit through his people. And of course, he's still doing it today. And that explains why there are people in some of the most obscure places on the planet who believe in Jesus Christ. It is because... Jesus is still active in the world by his spirit through his people. That's the first thing this morning. And then the second reason there are believers in obscure places throughout the world today is because of Jesus' purposeful plan for the world. And you'll find this in Acts chapter 1, verse 3 and following. I'm actually going to reread verse 8 for us. You might like to look at it. Jesus says to the apostles, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now I say that Jesus' plan is purposeful because, and listen to me carefully, the rest of the book of Acts follows the structure of verse 8. Because Acts describes the movement of the gospel from Jerusalem, chapters 2 to 7, to Judea and Samaria, chapters 8 to 12, to the ends of the earth, chapters 13 to 28. It ends with Paul in Rome, which was the center of the known world at that time, where Paul is preaching the gospel. And in these opening verses, Luke tells us four things about Jesus' purposeful plan for the world. Number one, 
Jesus' plan for the world is founded on his resurrection. Come with me to verse 3. Verse 3, after his suffering, Jesus showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. You see, if Jesus' kingdom was going to spread when he was no longer physically here on earth, well, it was absolutely vital for the apostles to know for certain that Jesus really was alive. And that's why the 40 days after his resurrection and before his ascension, why those 40 days are so important. Because during those precious days, Jesus presented himself to the apostles' senses, to their eyes, to their ears, to their touch. Now, why did Jesus do that? Well, he did it so that they would have every confidence that the message they were spreading was grounded in an unarguable reality. Jesus appeared to them many times, so there was no possibility that they would think it was simply a hallucination or the result of wishful thinking. So notice, please, in verse 3, that Jesus speaks to the apostles. In verse 4, he eats with them. These are some of the convincing proofs they're going to need as they go out with the gospel into a hostile world. Jesus' plan for the world is founded on his resurrection. Second, it is empowered by his Holy Spirit. And that is verses 4 and 5 and the beginning of verse 8. Verse 4. On one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now look at the beginning of verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now, interestingly, there are only two commands in these first 11 verses. Both of them are in verse 4. Don't leave Jerusalem. Wait. You see, Jesus is preparing his disciples for the dawning of a completely new age. God is going to keep the promise that he made hundreds of years before to send the Holy Spirit. We heard about that promise last week, didn't we? In the book of Joel, do you remember that? God's plans for the whole world are about to move onto a whole new level. And the disciples are told that their continuing mission on earth won't be because of their own initiative. It'll be because of the work of God's Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus tells them to go to Jerusalem and wait. 
And that, I think, is a timely reminder, isn't it, for us, that the work of mission is always the work of the Spirit of God, always. You know, we're sometimes tempted to think, aren't we, that if we have the right people, uh, have the right finances, we have the right training strategy, that we'll see people converted and the church growing. That's not right. Because from start to finish, effective mission is the work of God's Spirit empowering God's people. Those other things are important, of course. It's important to plan, important to choose the right people, important to train them properly, important to raise the money. But if we think that we win people to Christ because we do certain things, well, we've lost Luke's perspective. Time and time again, we're going to learn in the book of Acts that the growth of the church and the conversion of individuals is the work of the Holy Spirit. So, for example, uh, when the Holy Spirit turns up in chapter 2, Pentecost, 3,000 people are converted in a single day. So Jesus' purposeful plan is empowered by the Holy Spirit. But, of course, the Holy Spirit works through people. And that leads us to our next point. Because Jesus' plan for the world is accomplished through the witness of his people. Verses 6 to 8. Come with me to verse 6. So when they met together, they asked Jesus, Lord, are you going to at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus involves his people in the restoration of the world. Now please notice that is actually what this purposeful plan is all about. It's nothing less than the restoration of the whole world. Keep a finger in chapter 1, turn ahead to chapter 3 and verse 19. Chapter 3, verse 19, Peter is speaking. And he says, Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who's been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven, now notice this, until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. So the mission that Jesus is entrusting to his disciples is the restoration of the whole world. So back in chapter 1, come back there now, the disciples ask, when will the kingdom be restored? And Jesus replies, the answer to that is known only by the Father, but then... He explains how it's going to be restored. 
So they ask when, and Jesus replies, how? Because when the Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So have we got it clear in our minds? God is going to bring about the restoration of the whole world through the witness of his people as they are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And uh, verse 8 is giving us, if you like, the geographical plan for the spread of the gospel. It's going to move out from Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. But there's a problem. There's a problem, isn't there? I'm sure you can see it. Can you see it? Shall I ask somebody? No, I won't. See, the problem is the book of Acts ends in Rome. Now, whatever the Italians might think, Rome is not actually the center of the earth. It's it's not the ends of the earth. Which means that Jesus is still at work in the world today by his spirit through his people, taking salvation to the ends of the earth. Now that, of course, is why the ministries in Africa that we as this little church partner with are so very important. Amen? Amen. Because God is at work by his spirit fulfilling Acts chapter 1 verse 8, isn't he? You see, in that sense, Acts is a very unusual book because it's open-ended. We get to the end of the book and we're only in Rome. The ends of the earth haven't yet been reached with God's salvation. And we should also notice that it's the witness of God's people that brings salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, of course, in the first instance, yes, that's the witness of the apostles. And our witness today is based on their eyewitness then. Next week, we'll see that when they meet in order to find a replacement for Judas, that they have to choose somebody who's seen the resurrection. Because, you see, it is the apostles as eyewitnesses of the risen Christ who take the gospel out from Jerusalem, but they only get as far as Rome. And from Rome, from there, God uses ordinary Christians, people like me, people like you, to witness to the rest of the world. And as we do that, we witness to their witness. Now, what exactly does that witness involve? This is really important. People get very muddled about this. Francis of Assisi said, preach Jesus, use words if necessary. Now, unfortunately, many Christians have taken that to mean that verbal witness to Christ doesn't matter. All that matters is uh, living a distinctively Christian life in front of your friends and family. I have to tell us this morning, no one ever got converted by simply watching a Christian. Romans chapter 10, verse 7 says... 
Faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word of Christ. And that, you see, is why no less than 20% of the book of Acts is sermons or speeches by the apostles as they witness to Jesus. Because witness involves opening our mouths and speaking specifically about the kingdom that dawned in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And Luke kind of rams this point home at several different places in the book. Um, you see, he marks frequently marks the end of one section and the beginning of another section by making summary statements, not about the growth of the church, but actually about the progress of the word of God. There are lots of examples. I'll give you two. Chapter 6, verse 7, Luke writes, So the word of God spread. What an interesting way of saying it. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Well, that must have been a miracle, mustn't it? Or chapter 19, verse 20. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. See, that's telling us that it's the word of God proclaimed in the power of the Spirit that grows churches. So the number one need of the church in the world today isn't better music, it's not better buildings, it's not better management. Those things are important. Yes, they are. But the number one need of the church in the world today is better preaching and teaching of the word of God. And Jesus' purposeful plan for the world is executed by the verbal witness of his people. And then fourthly and lastly, Jesus' purposeful plan for the world will go on being implemented until he returns. Verses 9 to 11. Come to verse 9. After Jesus said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly... Two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who's been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you've seen him go. Now there's an emphasis, an emphasis in these verses on where Jesus is this morning. Uh, the word sky and the word heaven in the original language are the same word, and Luke uses it no less than four times in three verses. And what he's doing is he's emphasizing that Jesus is in the place of supreme authority in the universe. He's in heaven. And the mention of the cloud, did you notice that? The cloud that has hidden him is a, a reminder of the cloud of God's glory that we find in the Old Testament at Mount Sinai, in the tabernacle, in the temple, and in the New Testament, 
on the Mount of Transfiguration. And here, the cloud underlines the fact that Jesus is now in the glorious presence of God in the place of supreme authority. When we're told here that Jesus will return in the same way that he left, that doesn't mean we're meant to expect Jesus to return to earth wearing the same clothes on the Mount of Olives. It doesn't mean that. No, it means that the same Jesus, physical and glorified, will return in the same way, visible and glorified. And yet, there will be some important differences. His going up into heaven was private. Only the 11 disciples saw it. His coming will be very public. Everyone will see it. His going took place in normal time. You know, they watched, didn't they? They watched him ascend up into the sky. The clock was ticking. But his coming will be instantaneous. And uh, it'll mark the end of time as we know it. So let's draw the threads together this morning. Why today are there believers in the Lord Jesus in the most obscure parts of the world? Well, it's because of Jesus' continued activity in the world by his spirit through his people. And secondly, it's because of his purposeful plan for the world founded on his resurrection, empowered by his Holy Spirit, accomplished by the witness, the verbal witness of his people, and that plan remains in force until he returns. And I want to finish this morning with only one point of application. See, it's very tempting for us to take verse 8 as a kind of commission for you and I this morning to get involved in world mission. But verse 8 is not actually directed to you and I in the first instance. In fact, verse 8 isn't so much a commission as a prediction. Notice what Jesus says. He says, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. He doesn't say you might be if only you can be bothered to do it. He doesn't say that, does he? He says, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. It's a prediction that is still being fulfilled today. And therefore, I suggest to you that Luke's purpose is that you and I need to, as it were, stand back and be amazed this morning that Jesus is still active in the world today. We need to be amazed that Jesus is saving Athabascan Indians in Alaska or children in Russia or secret believers in China and even people like me from England. And be amazed, dear friends, that you and I are here this morning as a result of Jesus' continuing work in the world. In this series, there's going to be plenty of time in the weeks to come for us to respond to God's call for you and I to get involved in mission. But that can wait. This morning, I simply want you to sit back and remind yourself what Jesus is doing in the world 
by his spirit through his people. And let's praise him for it. Let's praise him for it. Because you see, that's what you and I are going to be doing in heaven. And as I close, I want to remind us of that. And we're going to do that because we're going to read together the famous words in Revelation chapter 7. I hope that will appear on the screen. Please, will you stand? Okay, here's a preview of what you're going to be doing in heaven, so let's get used to it. Together. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Do please, well, probably remain standing, I think. You coming forward to do the music, brother. <laughs> 